We are in week three, and it's the final week, of a series that we decided to call Resist. Resist. And it's unique in that we hardly ever, uh, as in maybe never, do I ever use a title that's kind of a negative sense. But this one is. Now, there are some, some things that you should resist, right? That could be used in a positive way, but it's really not in this series, honestly, because we're trying to be honest about the fact that we often resist the God we say we trust. We do. We, we declare that he is trustworthy in everything, and yet sometimes we resist him. And so we've been taking three weeks to look at three individuals whose lives intersect with Jesus right at his crucifixion, and their stories really do help us understand what's behind this tendency for us to resist. This week, I want you to consider a relationship that is not necessarily as it appears. A relationship that is not necessarily as it appears. And what I'm talking about is the relationship between life and God. Because this is typically how it goes. If my life is going good, if the circumstances are good, if my experiences are good, God is good. But if my life is not good, and my experiences are not good, my circumstances are not good, we have a way of translating that that we're not sure if God's good. I'm saying disappointment with life easily becomes disappointment with God, doesn't it? And the answer would be yeah. I mean, come on, I, I don't think that's a reach for, for any of us in the room today. No matter how long you have been connected to God, no matter how much you say you may trust him, there have been some moments when some things unfolded and it at least made you like, God, you're supposed to be good. So how come, how come this isn't good? How, how come this, this circumstance? So maybe that describes your life today. Maybe you are here and it's just not working out for you right now. I'm saying the circumstances are such, the experiences are such that it, it, no matter what you seem to try, it's not coming together and people are declaring to you, you got to just trust God. And you're saying, I'm trying to trust God, but you know what? I'm frustrated frustrated like crazy, I, I'm starting to wonder, does he even care? Is he even there? Is he really good? And what makes this so complicated is because a lot of us grew up in church, and so we have always been taught the truth about a very personal God, and that's why it's sometimes so hard to not confuse your experience with him. Okay? You got me? That's where, that's where we're at. And today's character helps us with that issue. Now, here's what we don't know. 
We're not sure how old he is. We don't even know his name. But what we do know is that his life has spun completely out of control. Because he is in a Roman jail cell, which is probably a hole in the ground. All right, I don't mean that it's like a cell in the basement of a building. I mean it's like the hole in the ground underneath a cell in the basement of the building. That was typically what a Roman jail cell would be like. And we're dealing with a man who is so violent, apparently, that he can't even just be a slave. We won't let him just be a slave. We're dealing with somebody who has done something that he can't even row, you know, in the, in the galley in the bottom of a Roman ship. He, he can't even be allowed to just do that for the rest of his life. We're dealing with somebody whose life has so spun out of control that now his life is only worthy to illustrate the futility of resisting Rome. He is about to be crucified. And he will be crucified as a warning to anybody else who wants to follow his path. Now he's familiar with what it means to be crucified. He's seen it, he's heard it, he's smelled it. He's going to scream, he's going to fight to the end. But in the end, death is going to take him. And his body will be peeled off of that Roman cross and it will be drugged to the south end of the city of Jerusalem where it will be thrown into the city dump called Gehenna. Because the Romans won't even give the opportunity to anybody to claim his body. That was a part of the humiliation of crucifixion. And he realizes there is no defense, no friends are coming, no family's going to come to defend him. The government is certainly not defending him, and apparently God has abandoned him. He will die a common criminal, but he has decided to die just like he has lived, defiant. But on the morning of that day, as they drag him out of that hole in the ground, he discovers that he will not be crucified alone. There will be two others who will die with him. Now perhaps he knew one of them because one of them was another criminal. But the other, a man named Jesus, a rabbi. A teacher. And as he hears that, he suddenly thinks to himself, maybe this is the silver lining on a day like today that at least there will be a crowd there. 
because they will be there to see Jesus. Luke is who tells us how this flows. I'm telling you that because I want you to understand that what we're about to read is not just a Bible story. It is a real story written by a real person. And in this particular case, his name is Luke. And Luke tells us at the beginning of the account that he gives that he thoroughly investigated these things in detail. And he did so because he wanted to provide a most accurate chronological account of the life of Jesus. And now we know it was so accurate that people began meticulously copying this account that Luke investigated and put together because they too, they wanted to know the details of Jesus' life. And ultimately, Luke's account, along with other accounts, were bound together about 200 years later into what we call the Bible. But I want you to understand, Luke went to great lengths for you to understand what happened. And this is what happened. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, that's Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Now, I'm telling you, there is so much packed into this word crucified because crucifixion contains so much violence, so much pain, so much noise, so much mourning, that this little word, there is so much packed into him, into it. Crucifixion always took at least hours to unfold and sometimes even took days. A person on a cross, sometimes for days. The Romans would use either ropes to secure them to those beams or sometimes just these huge Roman spikes they would use. Sometimes it would be a variance, honestly. Sometimes, you know, part of their body would be tied, part of it maybe maybe nailed. The Romans didn't create crucifixion. But the Romans did perfect it. The two criminals are just hurling profanities every direction toward the soldiers who put them there, toward the people who had gathered that day. But in the middle of all that, they hear Jesus begin to speak words that certainly are not normally heard from a cross. Jesus said, Father. Now, that word alone is a little unusual because 
when men hurt, they usually don't call for their fathers. They, they want their mamas. The second word, the second word even more extraordinary, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now come on. Forgive them. Forgive them while the very ones who just nailed his hands and feet to a cross are gambling over who's going to get the few belongings that he leaves behind. Forgive them while two criminals are cursing, screaming, dying on either side of him. Forgive them while a crowd, enemies, celebrate what's happening to him. Jesus prays, and when he prays, he calls on his father because he hasn't given up on God. Verse 35, the people stood watching. See, typically the people would come out for such a spectacle as crucifixion, especially when it was so close to town like this one was. It is not an exaggeration to say that they would line the walls, they would line the streets, huge crowds would come out to watch something like a crucifixion. And come on, we understand that. We might shake our heads and go, that's sick. But we all know that there is something about tragedy and pain that is embarrassingly fascinating to us. It will make us stop and watch. And on this day, the people stood watching, and then it says the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. These are the rulers that were most threatened by Jesus, most threatened by his authority, by his teaching, by his miracles. This is the group, the rulers, who were constantly being criticized by Jesus, shamed by him, because they were the group who tended to keep putting stuff between people and God that God didn't put between himself and people. But now, here he hangs. And so now, there's no more humiliation for them. Now, they don't have to worry about these huge crowds that could rebel against authority at any given moment. Now, they again, rulers, they are in charge. This is a moment of revenge. This is a moment when all the anger of the last three years are just flowing out of their hearts Jesus is now like a caged animal, and they will not let up. The people, the rulers, and then verse 36 says the soldiers. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, just so you know, 
A lot of times when we see pictures of the crucifixion, um, we tend to see a person on the cross pretty high off the ground. It tends to be how it's painted or, you know, how, however it's drawn. Um, typically, you, you'll see at least, you know, three, four, maybe even sometimes, you know, five, six feet of, of, of distance between their feet and the ground. And I'm not saying that it couldn't happen that way, but I'm telling you that a lot of the time, crucifixion didn't have such space between their feet and the ground. Lots of times, there was only a few inches. Now, just enough inches that they couldn't touch that ground that was so close. And so as their body hangs on that cross and they're literally just struggling to breathe and oh, to be able to just plant your feet, it's so close and yet you can't reach it. But I think the bigger part of it was because crucifixion, again, was about humiliation. And if a man is only a few inches off the ground, you can walk right up to his face and shout and spit. Pilate, the Roman governor, had made a sign to place over Jesus. A sign that was the actual charge for which crucifixion was taking place. It was that he was king of the Jews. It was the fact. That was what Caiaphas used, remember? To go to, to Pilate and get this whole thing to, to unfold. Jesus claims to be a king, and therefore that would be a threat to the Roman governor. And so this sign hangs above his head, king of the Jews. Interestingly enough, the Jewish rulers wanted Pilate to add a little bit to the sign. Don't just say king of the Jews, say he claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, it's going to read king of the Jews because that's the lesson, that's the point. And anybody else who defies Caesar's authority, this will be your outcome. The soldiers used that to mock Jesus. And as if that wasn't enough, we're told that even the criminals who are dying beside him also join in. Now, I know some of you have been around church long enough to know, no, 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 Jeff, you need to read your Bible because one of them, right, one of them didn't do that. And we're going to see some of that in a minute. And I'm telling you, no, both of them did. And here's how I know both of them did. Now, we're going to have to jump to Matthew for one verse, and then we'll come back to Luke. But here's what Matthew tells us in chapter 27, verse 44. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. How about that? Both of them. Maybe, maybe it was because they're screaming Maybe it's because, you know, they're just shouting and Jesus is silent and maybe it's, it's just that irritates them and they begin to insult him just like everybody else. So come on, come on, come on. Get the picture here, all right? The picture of crucifixion is gruesome enough. But you and I both know what just a little bit of criticism will do to our heart, don't we? We both know what on any given week, what can happen in our heart when just a little bit of criticism can be sent our way. I want you to get this picture. The Bible says that the crowds have gathered and they are mocking him. 
The rulers, the religious rulers have gathered and they are mocking him. The soldiers are mocking him and even the two men who are dying beside him are mocking him. Luke tells us that one of them said, verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. In other words, aren't you the special one from who? God. Aren't you the one from God who's supposed to be able to do something about this kind of stuff happening in our lives? If you were the Messiah, this wouldn't be happening to you. And if you were the Messiah, this wouldn't be happening to us. If you were from God, then our life wouldn't be this. Life, God. Life is good, God is good. Life is bad, God must not be good. Here's the reality. If at any point, if at any point, one of them would have asked the question, where is God? Where is God in all this? The true answer was, he's right here, arms wide open. This is bad, so God can't be good. Oh, he's right here, arms wide open. And somehow in the middle of all of that chaos, our character today stops shouting and senses something strangely different about this Jewish rabbi. Father, forgive them. It's just rolling through his head. Father, forgive them. It's like he can't, he can't get it off, off of his mind. Father, Forgive them, and something miraculous in that moment happens when he suddenly realizes, wait, this is an innocent man. This is a righteous man. This is a man sent from God, and we've got this all wrong. And so he rebukes. Verse 40 tells us the other criminal, that's our guy, rebuked him, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. Here is a man, he's saying, suffering like we are. Here he is, he's, he's in the same experience that we're in. He's in the same brokenness that we're in. But he, he has not abandoned his faith in God. His experience, he, it's exactly what we are going through. And yet he still so believes in God who is good that he calls him his father. This man has not drawn conclusions about God based on the way life 
and others have treated him. I'm going to read it again. This man has not drawn conclusions about God based on the way life and others have treated him. That's hard to do, isn't it? Isn't it hard to do sometimes when just what life throws your way, what people throw your way, isn't it so hard sometimes not to transfer that into how you see God and how he doesn't seem to be doing what you expect him to do in that moment? But suddenly for this man and maybe for you today, there is the brand new category. Verse 41, here's what he says. We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. We're here, we're here, because we've done some stuff and we know it. This man, he, he has done nothing wrong. Now, now, come on, if you step back from this whole picture for just a moment, how amazing is it that this is really the last conversation that Jesus is having with somebody, right? But before he's about to die, and come on, it's not the most righteous person in town. Some would say it's probably the most unrighteous person in town, the most undeserving person in town, the worst per If it required crucifixion, this guy was at the top of the list of the worst guy in town. And here's, though, what he's able to see. If an innocent man who suffers like a guilty man can maintain faith in God, Jesus has done nothing wrong. He's not where he's at because it's the consequence of some really bad decisions that he's made. So if an innocent man who suffers just like we are who are guilty can maintain faith in God, then how much more a guilty man for whom there is some justification for his suffering. If Jesus, who has done nothing wrong, can still see his father to be good, then how much more can somebody like me, who is not all good, who is certainly not innocent, who certainly has given reason for, for guilt to be placed rightly, but how much more, how much more, could I know that God is still good? And somehow in that moment, he realizes, oh, my God. The sign is right. This is the Messiah. And in the middle of it all, verse 42 he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Oh, my, I don't think that's a demand. I think that's a request. 
And the request is not because of anything I have done. The request is in spite of everything I have done. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me. How cool is that? Anybody recognize that today he's not going to be with Jesus because he rededicated his life? Right? Because rededicating your life does little good from a cross. There's no, more, there's no more opportunity in this life to prove a rededicated life. You know what I'm saying? There's no more I will, I promise from now on. There is no. There, there is no, none of that. This, this isn't a rededicated life. This is a desperate plea of a heart who cries out for nothing but mercy and grace. And today you'll be with me, Jesus said, because my thoughts about you and my love for you is not reflected in what's happening to you. And some of you need to hear that word. As Jesus says to you, my thoughts about you and my love for you is not reflected in what's happening to you. I am not. God is not your personal experience. Now, come on, what, what if this is true? What if life has left you broken, but God hasn't? What if life has left you abandoned, but God hasn't? What if it's true that life has not really reflected to you the true nature of God. I, I, I want you to get what happens here. Verse 44, it was now about noon. The darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now real quick, if you never heard this, this curtain is crazy significant in that it was this huge curtain that separated what was called the holy place, the holy of holies. It is where God's presence was seen to reside. They knew that God's presence was in this holy of holies. And so there was this curtain that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple. And in reality, it really separated the presence of God from the rest of the world. And the Bible says that on this day, on this moment, it ripped from the top down, which is just really a cool detail that I'm so glad they put in there. Bottom up, maybe a man could start, and although I'm arguing, if you knew how thick that curtain was and what was involved, it's probably not even possible that a man could rip that thing. But I'm saying from the top down was the clarity that this is God signifying that something has happened here that makes it possible that all could be welcomed into the presence of God. Because in this moment, everything that separated all of mankind from God was being taken care of on that hill, on that day, because of this death, Jesus. 
And in verse 46, one more time, Jesus called out with a loud voice. Who? Father. Father. The one who could have stopped this. Father, the one who could have spared me. But the Father that I trust. I'm just taking a shot in the dark today to say that perhaps there are a few of us in this room who have drawn some conclusions about God because of what you have experienced. Some people hurt you and you transferred that to how you think God really is. Some prayers didn't get answered like you thought they should get answered. And so you, you transferred that to mean that God is not good. Some, some loved ones that you so care about have, have, have experienced some hurt that you, you thought should have been taken away. But here's what I want us to make sure we understand today. God is not what you have experienced. God can be trusted in spite of your experience. Even Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. This world is messed up. This world is broken, not because of a God who created it this way, but because of a people who rebelled against him. This world, it is totally messed up. You will have trouble. Life is hard. But get this, God is not your life. God sent Jesus to bring you life. And I'm telling you today, you will find in Jesus what you have not found in life. You will find grace, you will find mercy, you will find love. And I, I love the fact that when you read accounts like Luke, when you read the rest of the Gospels, you discover Jesus takes life right in the face. I'm telling you, no shortcuts. He doesn't play the God card all the time. We're, he knew what it meant to be lonely. He knew what it meant to be abandoned by the people who were supposed to be closest to him. He knew what it meant for God to say no. And through it all, he has an in spite of life confidence in God that you can have the same and come on I've seen it and some of you have too through the years so many circumstances where people cling to God I've seen it in hospital rooms I've seen it at gravesides. 
I've seen it when people lose their jobs and yet they still constantly have eyes that look to meet the needs of people around them. I've seen it in children when their family unit has blown up and they just keep on believing in a father that's good. Life happens. God can be trusted. And I'm telling you, you don't have to live disappointed with God anymore. He can be trusted. That's where some of us need to go today. Because I'm pretty sure that some of us are dealing with some wounds that has left us mad at God. Some of us are dealing with some memories that has left us bitter, it has left us angry. And today I'm saying that could change. That can change because of what you have heard today. It is not just a Bible story. It really happened. In a few moments, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to spend some moments where we are just with our voices declaring the truth that we know to be about our God. Even, even when the circumstances don't match his goodness. His goodness is certain. His goodness is always. His goodness is eternal. And so I'm saying in a few moments, I'm going to encourage you to do something with that. There are going to be some of us who are over here on this side of the room. When we're singing together, it just, it's an opportunity for you to just perhaps to have somebody to pray for you, to pray over you, to pray with you. Because I'm telling you that today, when you open your hand in surrender... Instead of clenching your fist in anger, you become a candidate for the life-giving, life-changing grace that will eventually fill your experience. Will you surrender? Today, you are not surrounded by a crowd that mocks you. You are surrounded by a crowd saying, do it. Do it. Where is God? He's right here. Arms wide open. God, my prayer is that today, through the woundedness, through the bitterness, through the anger, God, through all of the stuff that is piled up in hearts here today, God, because of, God, things that have happened, God, hurts that have been dealt, God, circumstances that didn't change, 
God, there have been many of us who have transferred all that into who you are. And I'm asking today that you would give us eyes that can see through all that pain the truth about a father who is good. God, on this day, would you give us courage to run to you? On this day, would you give us courage to open our hands to surrender instead of clenching them in anger? God, on this day, may we truly experience that life-changing, life-changing grace. God, what, what that criminal on a cross experienced a long time ago when he had, he had nothing to bring to the table but a plea of mercy and grace, it was heard, it was met, it was delivered. And on this day, God, would you do that here? Thank you for being our God. Right here, arms open. In the name of Jesus, we run to you.